0: Welcome to Be Your Own Muse, a podcast presentation of the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. I'm Floyd Hall. Be Your Own Muse is presented as an extension of the museum's exhibition programming. The Spelman College Museum of Fine Art presents Zanelle Muhali, Somiyama Goniyama, Hail the Dark Lioness, from September 14th through December 8th, 2018. This exhibition is organized by Autograph London and curated by René Masai and marks the United States premiere of this work. I had a chance to talk with Zanella and René ahead of the opening of the exhibition. Thank you for this work, Zanella. Thank you for this for this for this work, and in what I've been able to see thus far, um, I'm curious about the comfort that you get with yourself to be able to place yourself in front of the camera. Um, how has that level of comfort developed for you? <laughs> uh,
1: it, 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 it has taken some time. And to be honest, it's unnerving. And it's based on experience of pain and otherwise So I just wanted to make sure that I see me in as much as uncomfortable the situation, the mode and the space that I found myself in was. So nobody will make you comfortable until you make yourself comfortable. So I had to create that safe space for myself, you know to deal with the issues that were handed at particular time and remembering that not many people are able to do that yeah
0: what does that what type of, of work does that does that entail over time to, to get that level of, of comfort what, what, what does that work look like for you or what did it look like for you at that time
1: I have to say first, I, I come from a space where I, I have captured a number of pictures, you know, of other people, either be their friends or acquaintances. So now to project myself, it meant that I had to put myself in their position, you know, because then there are people who participate in your projects, but then you never know how they feel about it. So I could imagine how those people were positioned, though they agreed to participate in my previous project. It's not an easy stance, but then one had to do it, you know, dealing with issues at hand, and also trying to find a way, you know, or means to express whatever those issues were, which mainly are uh, basically on historical moments, or historical events, either known to us or unknown to other people who might not know what what I was trying to project.
0: Say more about that history, and and in your lifetime, or maybe thinking beyond or before your lifetime. Mm-hmm. But what what about the the history were you trying to communicate, or were you trying to disrupt?
1: Um, it, it could be. Like recent history, not necessarily something that happened long, long, long time ago. And recent history could be an event that took place two years ago or an event that took place four years ago or six years ago. And one of them that is known to South Africans or to people beyond South African borders would be the Marikana, where miners were shot down, which when we heard of that incident, it's somewhere somehow, somehow um, said, you know, negatively, too many of us, understanding that a lot of women, they lost their husbands who, uh, who were minors. This was in 2012 uh, August in South Africa. And also thinking of those ch- children who were offended due to that, you know, uh, uh, incident. And then one had to produce an image that spoke to that per se, To say what is it that affects us as human beings in South Africa, or, or as people, as human beings who are activists and who believe that, you know, human rights shouldn't be violated simply because others are in positions of power.
0: Renee, Renee Masai, curator of this exhibition. I would love for you to maybe add some context to uh, what Zanelle has mentioned thus far. Um, When you look at these images and when you select and position these images, um, what what were some of the initial uh, feelings that you had when you began to encounter this work?
2: So perhaps the first thing that I should say is that Zanella and I have been having this conversation for a long time, since the very first image in the series emerged. So it's been an ongoing dialogue for the last um, six years or so, if you will. And one of the key things that um, I think of when I look at the work, and when I select the work, and when I engage with the work, is this notion of courage. And courage really takes us back to the first question that you posed which is the kind of strength it takes in order to face the camera. So in many ways, for me, this body of work, it's about many different things, but it's about courage. And it's about the courage to literally face yourself, face the camera, and to engage and bring all of those different narratives, whether they're personal or whether they're political, sociocultural, into a conversation that creates these visual inscriptions, these personal but also scathing reflections that are remarks and comments on questions around human rights. Each and every portrait in the series represents a narrative that poses critical questions to us as the viewers. They're critical questions that are extremely personal, that are extremely political at the same time, and that bring history and memory, um, aesthetic and politics together.
0: What truths are we are we are we are we missing out on, in terms of the story, the the a bigger narrative of what gets pushed? Um, what do you feel like we're we're missing when it comes to the story of what's happening in South Africa, um, as told by those who are living through these moments?
1: Um, what we're missing is what we unable to relate to or we are unable to narrate, because at times we depend on other people to tell our stories. And those stories are either affecting us personally or affect us at a personal level in different ways. And they are not far away from us. They are so close to home or immediate. So when people talk about apartheid, they would talk about something that happened long time ago. They won't speak of the ongoing racism that is happening now, which is connected to that past or is connected to that apartheid period, you know. We're still speaking of, like, segregation of different kinds. People are still, like, um, consuming poor education, which happened during apartheid years because of how the education system was uh, structured or designed. And then for many black people, you know, not everyone has the same access to resources and which then lead to high you know, uh, level of unemployment due to that poor education system which then means that those without, you know uh, means to su- survive freely or comfortably they end up being displaced in different spaces if you don't have a good job don't have good education and then it's unlikely for you to own a comfortable home or to afford a home for your family, and then and so on and so on. Those are the things that were experienced by our grandmothers, Mm -hmm. our great-grandmothers, by some of our mothers, which still happens today. So it might not be termed under apartheid as such, but then it speaks of, you know, those problems that our, our communities are facing or some members of our communities are facing. So now the question is like how do we tell that story as living beings now and how does it affect both South Africans and people beyond South African borders? Even maybe here in America there's a lot of displacement and forced removals due to you know, gentrification that's in place and, and also poverty that some of some people here experience.
0: Sure, sure. This is the American debut of this work, and I wanted to get your perspective on what it means to have this work be here at Spellman.
1: Um, Spellman has a history <laughs> of um, a space where women's uh, lives were changed higher education, you know, granted to those who may be qualified to be here in this space at the most difficult period in, in American history, I guess. So to be here, uh, it feels, okay, for one, I keep on saying it feels like I'm having a solo show in America, and it's exciting, but I don't know that there are very important people who came here before me that I regard highly and uh, whose work I respect. And one of them being Audre Lorde, that whenever people speak about the most powerful American uh, activist, feminist who penned uh, history for other people, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense. But for me to share this space, uh, to extend, you know, the dialogue, because then the work, once it's projected on, on these walls, it's not about me but then somewhere, somehow, um, it's given to people. Then they come up with their own stories, and then it's extended. How it's here, it just forms part of knowledge being produced for the scholars, for the students who then become experts in different fields, and they then educate different people you know, with it and take it from there. But then it's just not about me. It's on the walls. People have their own articulation and their own, you know, perception or impression that comes with Yeah.
0: Renee, this is your second time here at Spelman at the museum. And uh, the first time was with uh, Autograph APB as well. And um, for you, to come back to Spellman in this context mm-hmm. with this exhibition. Uh, what are your thoughts right now?
2: It's, um, it's a great pleasure and a great privilege to be working with Spellman because in many ways, again, as you said, and um, the last time I was here was in 2016 with Black Chronicles, and um, in many ways the synergy between Spellman Museum and Autograph is a very similar kind of synergy than the synergy that's shared between Autograph and Zanelle Moholy's practice. So Zanelle Moholy speaks about visual activism. I like to refer to our work as curatorial activism. So there's a meeting of minds, if you will, and between the mission that Spelman College Museum of Fine Art have nurtured over the years, the focus on um, artistic practices by women of the African diaspora, if you will, and autographs mission around promoting photography and film through a prism that deals with questions around race and representation, human rights and cultural identity. All of those different factors come together very beautifully and poignantly um, in this exhibition. So it's, um, it's a perfect, perfect synergy, in my view. It's also very timely in many ways in terms of the kind of different political situations and changes at Spellman at the moment, in terms of their student bodies, in terms of the conversations we're having around gender and representation and um, freedom of expression, gender orientation, sexuality, all of that comes together in many ways. Um, as part of the different conversations that the series opens up for, for us, if you will, Spellman was the first partner in America I reached out to in terms of hosting this exhibition. We've had four venues in Europe, Prior to this, and we have another three or four stops in America to come. But um, to begin at Spelman seemed the most fitting and perfect context for this particular body of work.
0: When I look at your work and and study the images, what often jumps out to me first is is the eyes. Like I, I I find myself being drawn more to your eyes more than what may be present. Um, in the rest of the photo, uh, from in terms of, of composition, um, and I don't really know, you know, what that means or what that says. But for me, I, I keep coming back to that and looking for something. I think maybe I'm looking for something, you know, in in your eyes, um, in these in these photos.
1: Maybe it's because you're wearing spectacles. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs)
2: Uh,
1: No, in most of my work, that gaze is very, very important because you don't want people to forget and you want them to engage with you. What meets the eye? What about the eyes? You know, it's like you're having a conversation, but then they silence at the same time. And then you wonder what's going on in that person's mind or what was going on at the time when the, when the image was captured. So I like to keep that level of the eye, even if you move left or right, but you're still like, confronted with these eyes. I think that's the power of la- like blackness or black people, when one is confronted with blackness and then the eyes say, look at me, you know. Do not ignore me. Recognize me. Respect me. You know whether you're looking up or down, sideways, etc. So I just don't want people to get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, want them, I want them to always remember what they have seen in that particular space, even when the exhibition is over. But you'll always remember that
2: penetrating gaze. I think one of the things with, um, with the gaze in the exhibition is also that it's pretty relentless. There is absolutely no escaping those eyes. They will follow you around in every corner of the exhibition. So there is no escaping this gaze. And it also disables the idea of being of being able to consume this body without being questioned and without being scrutinized in this moment of looking. So there is an exchange. It's, a, it's, it's an oppositional gaze. Bell Hooks termed this kind of gaze as an oppositional gaze in the early 90s. And um, it's a confrontational, a questioning gaze that forces the audience and the viewers into a conversation, into a dialogue. And whether that dialogue is to start to deconstruct the different layers within each of those images, but it opens up a conversation that is pretty inescapable. And that's one of the things that makes this body of work so incredibly powerful.
0: Even thinking about the gaze and, and eye contact, because even the notion of looking someone in the eye and holding that gaze for any moment of time in American culture for blacks and whites, that was not always allowed. I mean, people have have died for something as simple as that for
2: looking, and so, back.
0: For looking back or, or just looking with intent. Mm. And so I think maybe there's some of that in that, that, that maybe even culturally you begin to unpack because you, I can can look at that, um, look at an image and understand the different layers of what eye contact can mean um, from a cultural standpoint, from an identity standpoint, and from a a safety standpoint
2: mm-hmm.
0: in this country in the American South. Um, so maybe that's what I get from from even just that relationship between viewer and and uh, the image. You oh. know,
1: culturally, even in other places or in other tribes, so like you're looking at like women not allowed to look at men direct into the eyes. Mm. So in a way, it's a sign of defiance, yeah. you know? Yeah. And if you look back as a woman, it means that you possess some power of some sort or you're either perceived as a deviant
2: it's also about occupying that space. There's an occupation in that gaze and an assertiveness.
0: In that gaze or or in in being in those moments, in these moments that our viewers will will witness through or throughout the exhibition, what what has been your comfort level with that gaze? Being able to present that? Or, or I guess maybe even project that, whatever energy you were feeling um, in that moment, were you always comfortable? Or how, how have you gotten more comfortable with being able to hold that gaze or project that gaze?
1: Um, I'll be lying to you if I say I, I'm always comfortable. I'm trying to make myself comfortable, <laughs> yeah, in most of the time and also to take back the power that many people do not have, maybe in different spaces. So that, that gaze has a lot to do with the space that I'm occupying as well, because you can't just be comfortable in any other space, remembering that the images are taken in different spaces as I move along. So there's that sense of vulnerability within those spaces in which one is forced to be themselves or to make themselves comfortable. But I can't say for each and every image I was comfortable because it's different moments, it's movements, and the space in which I'm trying to possess or occupy. And at the end, the image says something, or I just want to make sure that the image, you know, says something depends on how it's read also. Like you had your own reading to the space, like how this work is projected here will be different than how it will be projected in another space and how those people within those spaces, you know, read each and every image. Maybe the twist or maybe the little bit of a shift will have a different meaning, you know. But in all, I just want people to engage with the work and also either see themselves in the work, even if they do not like it. And if they do like, what is it that you like? If you dislike, what is it it that makes you uncomfortable to end up disliking the work?
0: With regard to your level of comfort in, in each of these moments that came with the creation, Is there anything, or is there any correlation between comfort and love in terms of whatever love you have for yourself in that moment um, that correlates to maybe your comfort in that moment?
1: It's complicated. I can't tell, you know. I can't connect the two.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Other instances, I'm like, okay. In other, at other times, I'm just not okay, but I have to respond to what makes me feel uncomfortable uh, at that time. Remembering that this work is about race and racial dynamics and the complexities of race, and which then touches on history and the moments.
2: Sometimes, though, I think, the very act of taking the portrait is a declaration of self-love, because that's the only way that you can get closer to yourself, by facing the camera and by entering the space of vulnerability, if you will. And that's also, I think, often a way for you to cope with whatever reality you're responding to in that moment. So I think the question around comfort and love actually do correlate to some of the portraits and some of the moments that they inspired, No,
1: In a way, to say, no matter how difficult the situation may be, you know, You just need to reconnect with the self, yeah, as difficult as how the situation might present itself, you know. But with the statement given, you say you're talking about like self-representation, you're talking about owning yourself, you're talking about remembering yourself, you know, talking about that need for self-acceptance which i guess you have to love yourself to accept yourself yeah in a way
0: mm. we represent the three of us here different portions of the the african diaspora um here in america renée uh european uh african. african yes <laughs> <I'm> african. <laughs> um but i would say in in america in casual conversations we have this notion of, of different levels of blackness like this like this is more black than that or this act is more black or less black and there's like a spectrum that we assign to maybe give more intensity to this act or some sort of presentation of blackness and I don't know if that's purely an American thing um, when you hear levels of blackness what does that make you think of?
2: I think it's really important to recognize that we all have very different experiences of blackness. I grew up in Europe. My father is Somali. My mother is Austrian. I grew up in the Austrian mountains, literally. And I was probably the only brown black person anywhere in my vicinity. Everybody knew my name. I couldn't wait to get out of Austria when I was 18. And I moved to the UK because I didn't want to be different every single day of my life. So those different different. Here we are, difference. It comes down to difference in many ways. But um, Stuart Hall has written about the kaleidoscopic spectrum of blackness. And I think that's really important. I think it's really important that an African American experience is very different to a black British experience. And it's entirely different to a South African black experience. So to conflate this notion of blackness into one doesn't really work. But at the same time, there are all kinds of nuances and all kinds of moments that we share within that. Does that help? Remotely.
0: That's authentic to you and so that, that that definitely helps.
1: You know, when you talk about blackness to me, I think it has a lot to do with the language. The language I speak. My dreams, no matter how far I'm at. I'm in America, I still dream in Zulu. When I'm stuck I'll be having a conversation with Renee, or I'll be thinking about like somebody in the house speaking Zulu to translate this for me. (laughs) So uh, I think that pride of like being a Zulu speaking person and be able to have a second language is very, very major because in that way I'm able to have a sense of something that I own. The language is key to me besides the music that I listen to that I like which might be traditional music, mm. gospel you know, with Zulu lyrics or or one of South African languages you know, lyrics etc, etc I think in all, even with the work that is on show most of the, the, the pictures are named in Zulu to say for once let's remember where we come from our mother tongue which kind of like defines us in a way. So when you talk about that level of blackness you say if somebody were way to say like move if not if that's said in English I would understand but if it's said in Zulu I'll know that that's, there's danger there. Because language then becomes you know that space of my understanding. So when I take photographs, when I shoot, when I position myself or someone that I'm working with, it it feels comfortable. If that's said in my mother tongue, hence the the name of the show is called somyama Mangonyama. That's when that's my level of blackness because you can't pronounce that, even though we are black, like the three of us here. Yeah. A kind of like black, or on our race.
0: The current exhibition on display at the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art is Zanele Muhale Somiyama Konyama. Perfect. Zanele Muhale, Renee Masai. Thank you.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> both sincerely.
0: Sincerely.